three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. About seven months ago, I published an episode titled Quiet the Noise, Turn Up Your Own Agenda, which was subtitled Matthew Drops Facebook, and in which I share my experience in not so much dropping Facebook as severely delimiting it to where it was nothing that consumed any of my attention throughout the day. It was not a constant presence or distraction from the things that were most important to me. That is, my agenda. I, of course, recommended that listeners reevaluate their own use of social media and news consumption, encouraging them to assume the craftsman approach, that's a Cal Newport term, to their own lives and to ask whether any tool or activity or other promotes or detracts from the agenda of their own life before adopting it. Some weeks after that, a friend of mine made a very legitimate critique of my behavior in light of what I had said on that show, and in it I see an opportunity to clarify my own approach here and for a lesson to be learned for all of us. I had thought to do this at the time and immediately made some notes for it, but I've put other topics and guests in front of this over the past months and weeks. However, the key points raised from thinking on this are still very valuable to me, and of course I expect to you, in helping us set proper context on what we're actually doing here in our lives, how not to be restrained from the limits we set for ourselves but rather liberated by them, and how to walk the line between being honest about our missteps or evasions while not beating ourselves up too much, both of which are debilitating and counterproductive to the project of living an optimistic, thriving life. So on that episode, my actual policy regarding social media, and that's Facebook specifically for me as I don't really use any others, was to look at it only once at the end of the day before bed just to clear the notifications and see whether there was anything I needed to see. I I do use Facebook to share and communicate with some of the audience for this show, for instance. The idea was to effectively drop Facebook completely without actually deleting my account, as I felt I spent too much of my time and mental energy thinking about other people instead of my own agenda and the things going on in my real life, which was in front of me daily. And with that, when I sat down to my computer in the morning with my coffee, the policy I declared was that I would go straight to opening up some work, what I knew I really wanted to do, and would be happy if achieved before enjoying other things. Before setting that rule, I might open Facebook or watch a video or read some news with my first coffee, something to just get warmed up on the day and to enjoy. But in my experience, it is much more productive and more enjoyable to get absorbed in the work before I open up my mind to any connection to the outside world. And often, checking in with social media or news can even prevent me from ever getting started at all. So you can re-listen to that episode 42 for more details. And this is not just a productivity hack. After having completed my work, that work that I know I really wanted to do and would be happier having done, it is also about enjoying one's leisure time. It was in a subsequent episode, episode 48, called A Reason Your Fun Time Isn't Fun, that I went on about how because of following my policy of getting my shit done first, this is in contrast to the miserable occasions when I broke it, Even the smaller pleasures were more guilt-free and enjoyable experiences. Things like that evening's upcoming dinner and Netflix with the wife, out for coffee, whatever we happen to be doing, the free time had a lightness to it versus when I just try to enjoy something as an avoidance of work or some other distasteful task for which I must summon some kind of energy, particularly mental energy. And after describing life in terms of two essential modes, production and consumption, the first which by nature necessarily precedes the second, I referred to building up celebratory consumption credits through productive activity. And that when you are on top of what you need to do and want to do to support your consumption of life, you can enjoy it more purely. If you don't build up such credits, you're playing on borrowed time. 
Debt feels heavy, and so does your leisure time spent in this way. I refer you now to episode 48 for more details on that aspect of it. And it was all working. And that's why I was so excited and made those shows to describe my experience and shout it out to you for your consideration and possible adoption and application to your own life. Of course, I also want a record of it for myself, which is half of what this show is about. And I think I'm due for a re-listen of those episodes. So what was my friend's critique? Well, one morning, I sat down to my computer with my first coffee, and because it was a Monday, that's the day a new Mr. Brightside episode is published, I had just the small housekeeping task of sharing the show on Facebook and LinkedIn with a little post, but because I'm only allowed to look at Facebook once a day at the end of the day, I really do just get in and out for this quick task without paying attention to anything on those sites, not even for a minute. The whole idea of opening a folder of more creative work before all else is not about time wasted. If that were it, not much would be lost in taking 15-20 minutes on the first coffee before setting down to work. Instead, it's that the my-world-absorbed state of mind necessary for such work can be cracked by activating it to think of other people and events in the world. Again, see episode 48 for details. It's a big idea. However. As I was on Facebook to make my quick post, I happened to notice that my friend was on Messenger or something, or maybe it was he who first said something to me, noticing I was online, but in any case, this is a friend in Canada who I don't get to talk to often, and we had a little exchange. But one of his comments was kind of a challenge, being an astute listener of my show as he is. He said, so did you get straight to work? You're talking to me. And he was indicating that I was obviously allowing myself some Facebook time before getting down to my writing as not to open my mind to what I termed connection. And I was on the defensive like, well, I had to come in to share my post first and blah, blah, blah. And of course, he's not wrong. What was I doing telling everyone that, you know, you should limit your social media time and you'll be better off for it, etc. And look at me setting a policy and sticking to it. And I've got everything on track. And why can't you, etc. Do I walk my talk? But as I said, there are several points of context to consider. And I think it's valuable for me and for listeners to highlight and explain them all here today so that we might all more lightly and happily dance the line between guilt and motivation, between production and consumption, among other things. Consider this my full defense as to why I allowed myself the breach of engaging my friend that morning on Messenger and how we all might think of and apply the rules and resolutions we set for ourselves. Point one. Conviction or truth of a principle is not dependent on its consistently successful application. Knowledge of what to do and doing it are two separate things, and neither is simple. It often requires a lot of trial and error. And that's what this show is about, and it's what our lives should be about. I'm trying to find principles, tools, strategies that are true and that work. That means sometimes that I put something out there that seems like a good hypothesis or strategy, and let's see what people think about it as I continue testing it for myself. This is my thinking out loud that I refer to sometimes. Other times, it's something I've tested over and over for years, and I'm saying to listeners, this is true and works. But in either case, it doesn't mean that I do it all the time. It's hard. Humans have free will, and we can and often do choose what we know is not good for us. So whenever I share an idea on this show, I'm not saying it's easy to implement. I'm only saying either that it works or that it seems promising, and let me try to articulate it as clearly as I can to empower you and me, and what do you make of it? And let's all get better together. Let's take physical health for example. I can identify what is good to eat, what are good practices, etc. But then it's really hard to do it. I know what would be optimal in getting ripped abs or looking good in general, as well as energy, strength, longevity, and other indicators of good health. It's not mostly a lack of knowledge that prevents us from achieving those things. Of course, it is a very complicated issue, and it's hard to keep it all in mind, and then new knowledge comes out, and our ideas about nutrition, exercise, etc. get refined or retooled completely. But even with all that, Many of us at least have ideas enough to be healthier than we are. 
It's just that even then, when we're mostly clear on what we believe we ought to do, it's also just hard to choose the right thing consistently. So if I don't rock perfect health or I make bad choices, it doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm putting out here isn't true. My attitude in sharing ideas is, in essence, to the best of my knowledge and in my experience, to the extent I or you do this, we will have good results. To the extent we don't, we will fail. And now, point two. There's also the bigger context to consider. I'm not exclusively focused on health. Life is not about health or productivity or any one factor. It is about the successful integration of many factors, which amount to what I always call on this show, human flourishing or thriving. I'm all about promoting optimal living. And on this point, there is another lesson that I want to hark back to in an episode way back, episode 13, Delimit to be Free, which was subtitled In Diet and Everything. In that, I explain, in essence, that you set boundaries not so that you can't escape from a prison you create yourself, but so that you may roam freely within those boundaries and not have to think about where the danger line is. You've taken time to think about what you really want in your life, and so you set up those boundaries that you know will help you achieve what you know is rationally good for you. You're aware of them but they are more on the periphery of your awareness. And so you operate more freely in your moment-to-moment life while those boundaries protect you from overstepping into what you've decided in a time of deeper and sober deliberation is not what you want. This is what allows for spontaneity in life. I think real spontaneity, at least a good kind of spontaneity that's not detrimental to the values we want to achieve, is only possible if we have limits. In my diet example, that I have certain limits doesn't mean that I can't enjoy a delectable treat if something exceptional comes up. This is why it's called an exception. And moreover, the greater context of why I want to achieve good health in the first place is so that I may better enjoy this glorious existence on earth. But I don't just say that a cookie made me feel good today, so why not slam a dozen every day? This is dropping context. The example that happened here with my friend in the Facebook, the context was that I was going to do my work. I uploaded my video and wrote my post. I see my friend talking, and so I engaged. What I wanted to share with him was actually related to my work as well. I had just tried a new web camera, and he's a guy that knows about filmmaking and cameras, etc., and so I thought it was a good chance to discuss with him the possibility of using this camera to record my shows, etc. And on top, it's a friend I don't get to talk to often, and here he was. And remember, I'm just up with my morning coffee, I've posted my show to Facebook and happened to recognize an exceptional circumstance. What is the full context? Why am I setting limits for myself in the first place? To better enjoy my life. And talking to an old friend is a great value to me. Of course, we must be very honest with ourselves about whether we truly are choosing the bigger context value or just avoiding work. Rationalizing any and all choices after the fact is not a recipe for psychological or emotional well-being, nor in any material aspect of well-being. But what is it for me to engage with my friend for a few minutes, or even to give up my whole morning's work to talk with him? Only I can answer that question. But in any case, it's not definitive that I was betraying my commitment to myself and all that was implied in his sarcastic challenge, did you get straight to work? That commitment was made in the service of a greater context value, which is the optimal enjoyment of my own life. And weighing all of those considerations is what I mean by objectivity in an optimistic mindset and framework. And to emphasize again, as per the first point, whatever my choice was in that situation, it does not mean that it's not true that by our nature we all must build up celebratory consumption credit, i.e. that we must produce before we consume. It's a law of economics and life and psychology. Whether I practice it consistently or not, it is still true that leisure time consumption activities are way more enjoyable if I get my work done first. And that's the bigger point. Point three, because someone makes a claim to some knowledge of an effective method or policy, its validity or invalidity does not rest on the practice of the person putting it out there. Now this is an elaboration of point one, but I mean more specifically in regard to people searching for some slip on the part of the proponent of an idea so that they may bypass the necessity of dealing with the idea itself. 
People might say, so you don't actually practice what you preach, so what you preach must be baloney and I don't have to rack my brain grappling with it. Their gotcha excuses them from having to judge the idea on its own merits and on its correspondence to reality. Of course, it is true that hypocrisy ought to make one doubtful and more skeptical of a person's claims, but it's still not the be-all, end-all. It is also true that one ought to look at the whole of the life that the person is leading. And in the case of consistent hypocrisy, we do have an even greater case to discredit them and dismiss what they say. But take me on this show, for example. If I were consistently physically and mentally unhealthy, unhappy, unhinged, unreasonable, having destructive relationships, making no gains in terms of career, financial well-being, and life management, etc., that is, no signs of living an objectively flourishing life myself, one would have no cause to care what I have to say about anything. But I think I'm earning credibility with my students and for the younger ones, their parents, with my colleagues, my friends, and the people I deal with, and with you, dear listeners, in the overall life I'm leading and in which direction it's trending. But I'm a human, and humans have free will. And among my most fundamental messages on this show and in my work is that self-esteem, happiness, and individual flourishing must be earned, and that it is very difficult First, to discover what leads to such things, and then how to apply those principles into action. And that it requires constant thinking and choosing is why I consider those things great moral achievements. Now, if I, through experience and deep deliberation, concluded that drifting aimlessly and being reactive to everything, doing what we feel like, led to success and optimal living, I would advocate for that and attempt to practice it myself. But I see that it doesn't. And so I follow the truth wherever it leads me, which is often to difficult places. But the rewards of navigating those difficult places are grand. But to today's point, the road toward discovering best practices to optimal living is not going to be clearly laid out, and there will be many missteps. And then even when a new direction is clearly laid out, the old path pulls me towards it at times. I, like us all, am a work in progress until the very end. And because I have free will, I can choose to unfocus myself and get off track. I can err, etc. And I'm discovering how true it is as I live and learn, that is, as I choose and act. I was loving the experience of my life when following that policy of straight to work slash Facebook once a day at the end of the day, and I can see that I'm losing something by straying from it now, which I kind of have been lately. I can talk about COVID restrictions being a catalyst for some of my drop-off of good habits and the creeping re-adoption of self-destructive ones, but in any case, I've noticed the weeds enveloping and suffocating me somewhat. This is alarming, but I'm empowered to be reminded that it is all up to me what I do about it. And whatever the specific policy I set to delimit myself, I see that something in reducing connection and focusing more on my own agenda is being reinforced by this experience, and I have to re-up. And incidentally, I have just recently made a recommitment to it, um, among some other policy resurrections that I think will help bring me back to a more optimal level on many counts, and I'm already seeing magical results. And this leads us to a bigger note. Point four is related to an episode very long ago, way back, episode six, which was titled Be Kind. The point in that one was to look for what people are doing well, focus on that, and see what you can admire, enjoy, and learn from them. Be aware of faults and don't excuse evil, but certainly give people the benefit of the doubt. It's very easy to tear down and criticize others. It's much harder to make something of oneself. Unfortunately, this is becoming more and more the MO of many people in the world. Because it is much easier to tear down than to build, people substitute finding fault with others and criticizing them for virtue. We've even designated the phenomenon as virtue signaling. One doesn't signal how well they're living or any of their achievements, but only how they support something seen as generally moral while being the first to attack those who question the legitimacy or goodness of that thing before jumping on the bandwagon. And far from giving one anyone the benefit of the doubt, part of the game is that you have to denounce and dissociate from anyone who doesn't jump on straight away. This makes you good, according to this game. But this is not what makes one good. And even in the case where someone is legitimately bad, that someone is 
and that you pointed out is not the same thing as being good. It takes work to be good. It means creating a positive, progressing, not just standing by and judging. And of course, when one does create something of oneself, one gains more credibility and one's criticisms of bad ideas and people, when they are appropriate, carry more weight. But more than just earning you cred, when one is focused on building oneself, kindness becomes easier. Because you see the world in an optimistic light, where your choices do have power and give you control in directing your own life, you wish well for others and encourage them to do the same. It's a virtuous circle of goodwill and brotherhood that comes back to feed you too. And this advice goes for oneself too. Be kind to yourself. You don't get moral points for merely calling yourself out at every misstep. Don't focus on your shortcomings or that you made a bad choice. Focus on what you've done well, what you have to work with, and go from there. Be aware of your shortcomings, but don't dwell on them and give them power. Give power to the things you're doing well on, the virtues and values you have and might achieve, and they will expand and fill your life. This is optimism, and this attitude towards oneself helps you extend it to others. If I feel good about myself, I have no vested interest in wishing to find fault in others. Allow me an illustration of what being kind to myself looks like. I was looking at my body around the new year, and because of gyms being closed and other restrictions, etc., but fundamentally, let's be clear, because of my choices, my body was not where I wanted it to be. Anyone else feel like that? But instead of lamenting the loss of muscle, the extra softness and fat, that is, beating myself up and focusing on those things, I instead chose to look at the frame of what I had to work with, saw that I was still strong looking, and that with a little work, I could shape those shoulders, chest, arms into something awesome. I could melt that fat away and become an animal again. With a change in focus, I gave power to the better version of myself and starved the soft guy. And let's say I had completely gone into darkness for an extended period, like an alcoholic might. It's still true that one has free will and can choose the light. The truth will always be true, regardless of what people actually do, and it is never too late to choose what one knows is right and good for oneself. And that's pretty much what I have to say on all that for now, but for my final word in a moment. But before that, I ask you to please ask questions or make comments. Uh, what do you make of these ideas today, or any other idea you hear on the show? How can you inform my thinking? You may reach out to me in the comments section or on the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. Thank you all for that. And I'll also call upon you to please share this episode with anyone you think would do well to hear it. You never know when the right idea might hit the right person at the right time. So thanks again for all that. And now as my final word, allow me to recap. Number one, do not confuse the truth of a principle with a failure in its application. It may be the fault or indiscretion on the part of the person applying the principle rather than the principle itself. Number two, consider the bigger context within which we are applying principles. What is our wider goal? The overarching one ought to be, in my view, one's own individual flourishing, which sets the context and informs all of our lesser goals. Number three, hypocrisy can make you more suspicious of a person's claims, but it does not discredit an idea altogether. It might be that the person is just dishonest, but it does not excuse us the intellectual responsibility of dealing with the idea on its own merits. Number four, be kind to others and to yourself. Look for and assume a positive motive, that there might be a greater context for one's apparent evasions or mistakes, until and unless it is plainly proved a moral breach. But even then, depending on the severity of the issue and the breach, give people and yourself another chance to do the next best thing from there. That's all any of us can do, is our best. This is an optimistic outlook, and it's what I bring to my life and the people with whom I deal. What are you bringing? I'll see you guys next time. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh refuel and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing life is good it's up to you to choose the bright side 